Amen. Won't you thank them one more time? Didn't they do such a good job? Well, be encouraged. We will not have a fourth sermon on alcohol. We're moving on to something totally different, so something not controversial at all. We're going to talk about girls instead. So we're going to talk about specifically Southern girls and the gospel and why I think this is an appropriate thing to talk about, especially this time of year. So let me tell you, uh, first of all, why I think um, it's a subject worth, subject worth talking about. First of all, I've been surrounded by women my entire life. And I know we all are to some degree, but I've had a pretty strong case of it. So, for instance, my two siblings are girls. The overwhelming majority of all of my cousins, of whom I'm very close to, are all girls. In fact, me as a Powell, it's interesting, when you look at our family tree, my great-grandmother, Granny Powell, who died um, about 2011, she had eight children, um, three of which were sons, and of those three Powell boys, only one of them um, now has a son who has a son, and that would be me. And like, I'm the last Powell in my strand, which means that Peter better be fruitful and multiply. You know, he better have some boys. So, but um, anyway, it's just because there are girls everywhere in my family. Not only that, there are girls in my wife's family. My wife has zero brothers. She has three sisters. And not only that, the majority of the cousins on that side are also girls. So there's just girls everywhere. Then you get to my own household. My own household, like the house that I live in. It's majority girls. For instance, I have four daughters. I have two sons, one of which is in heaven. But I have four daughters. And of course, I've been privileged to be married for 18 and a half years. It'll be 19 years in May. And I've just been surrounded by girls. So I feel like that I am qualified today to say what I'm about to say. After all of this exposure and influence and being submerged in this life of women, I feel like I know nothing about girls. So I think that's what it has taught me is that, hey, listen, uh, don't presume. But there is something that I have noticed about doing life with these women that I love. And that is, is that when it comes to Southern girls and the gospel, the gospel, it's hard to believe the gospel down here. Sometimes, especially if you're a Southern girl. And let me tell you what I mean by that in just a second. But it's hard to believe the gospel down here. But it's true, my sister, it's true. Let me remind you of what the gospel is in a nutshell. The gospel is good news. It is good news. The good news is this, is that Jesus has done as a human being for you and me what we could never do for ourselves. He lived a life of perfect pleasing to God the Father and that he took his life and through his death, he took upon him all of my shortcomings and failures, all of my sins upon himself, and died with those sins upon him on the cross. 
And because of that, that if I accept and believe that he is my Lord, that he died for my sins and he got up from the grave, that I am counted as one of his and his righteousness now becomes mine. This is what the good news is, is that Jesus has done for you what you could never do. So the gospel is not you doing something for God, but rather receiving and believing what he has done for you. Let me tell you why it's so hard sometimes for Southern girls to get this message. And that is because there are such tremendous expectations that our culture and society, sometimes knowingly, probably most of the time unknowingly, places on women and places on girls in particular, not just guys, but women of all ages. And one of the things is that I've had the privilege of being a pastor and having hundreds of conversations at this point with women of all ages, from little girls to senior adult ladies. Women of all ages are prone to compare themselves to other women and to allow that comparison game to allow their hearts to feel shame. That, for instance, when they see this elusive, perfect Southern life, whatever that is, this perfect mom whose kids, you know, she's got 2.2 children and they're all well-behaved and they never get messy and they never disrupt parties and they all sit quietly at the dinner table and no one ever disobeys. And this perfect image is this high school girl or middle school girl that never has any drama and she never has any issues. She just trusts God and she's got her life all together. And, you know, her life is just wonderful and magical and she never struggles with depression or anything like that, or you've got this perfect image of a senior adult lady or an adult mom who never has issues with her grown children. Christmas and Thanksgiving, all those holidays are just perfect and beautiful. And we build up this image of what we think the perfect woman is. But I'm telling you, they don't exist. Even though it looks like they exist when you go to Instagram and you go to Facebook and, or if you just walk through the store and you walk by a magazine stand and see all the covers of all of these perfect women that have their lives together and you see that image and you think, oh, if I could only get my stuff together, I could be like that. There's a lot of pressure down here in the South on girls. Folks, it's hard being a woman in Southern culture, and there are expectations that we place on women that we don't place on men. By the way, in the first service, when I preached this message, it was as quiet as a mouse. And I have noticed any time that I do messages specifically talking about women, it gets really quiet. And I don't really know why. I think I know why the men are quiet, because they're thinking, I ain't going to say a word. Right? But I want you ladies to know, I want you to know that today is meant to be a blessing and encouragement to you. This is not to step on your toes and tell you, you just need to try a little bit harder. And if you would, you could be a better girl, a better mom, or you could be a better 
grandmom or adult woman or adult professional or whatever it is that you are, if you just try a little bit harder and get your stuff together, you'd be a little more acceptable. And I'm saying that's the problem. That's the problem because that's not the gospel. The gospel's not being the perfect woman. The gospel is putting your trust in the perfect man. And there's only one of those exists that exists, and his name is Jesus. Let me give you a few things. First, now I'm going to read the scripture. There are expectations we place on women that we don't place on men. There's just a, a, a couple of things. For instance, let a woman and a man both come in disheveled for work in Southern culture. Who's going to get more looks? I mean, is anybody shocked if a guy doesn't have his hair brushed? But if a woman comes in disheveled, somebody's going to be like, gosh, she didn't get ready, did she? Or here's another one. Let a single woman and a single man spend one week or one weekend with their southern relatives for holidays. Who will feel the most pressure for being single, the woman or the man? Here's another one. And I said this in the first service, and it was so quiet, I thought I may have gotten fired. Um, But how often do we really judge the bodily size of men? Or if a man is perceived to be overweight. Oh, but man, Southern culture can be hard on the image of a woman. Here's another one. Let children misbehave. Guess what is never said? Where is their father? Never let children misbehave. And what gets said? Where is their mother? Why? Because she needs to do something about these kids. Doesn't she know what's going on here? Also, do we really expect men to come to the workplace and smile and just be happy? Oh my goodness, if women don't smile and perform and be happy at work, the question is, what's wrong with her? Did she not take her medicine this morning? Something wrong? Now, if a man comes in and it's just like, well, he's just just a jerk. You know, it's just just a guy. It's just right, right? Here's another one. 92% of all plastic surgery is on women. Now, I'm not condemning plastic surgery. I'm just saying that should tell us something, though, because much of plastic surgery is to alter your image, to hopefully, ideally, if you're getting plastic surgery, it's because you think it's going to improve your image. Shouldn't it tell us something? And I'm not, I'm not hating on plastic surgery, all right? Shouldn't it tell us something, though, that 92%? I, I saw something that, uh, a couple weeks ago is that Um, There is a direct correlation with nose jobs and Apple's front-facing camera. The year the front-facing camera on cell phones came out in the early 2000s is the same year you see a spike in nose jobs. Because all of a sudden you're FaceTime and you're like, hey, oh. Why? It's because of the image. Also, here's another one. Do we ever walk into a messy bachelor's house and think anything is out of order. But Southern culture is if you walk in the house and it's out of order, it's like, well, why would she let it be this way? Here's another one. Does a man ever get asked, don't you want kids? No. 
But women can feel pressure from other women, from just a culture. Oh, and here's the big one. And by the way, my wife, I'm privileged so much to be married to this woman. And one of the things I am so proud of Andrea is what she does during the week, not just in caring for our family, but she serves as the executive director of Parkgate Crisis Pregnancy Center, a wonderful ministry here in Tupelo. So this one's close to my heart. Let an unmarried pair in the South make a baby. Who gets shamed? A lot of times we don't even know if a boy's involved. Oh, but let a girl get pregnant. And what do we think? What do we say? Who are we more readily apt to grant a mulligan? You know a mulligan? It's a redo. When boys mess up, it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, he's a boy. What do you expect? We can be hard on our girls. By the way, this is not my attempt to at be a culture warrior. I'm not saying because of this we need to tear down the patriarchy. No, I'm not talking about that at all. This is not that. This is just acknowledging that, listen, there's a disparity how we treat men and women. And the answer is not tearing down society. The answer has always been what it's been. And that is that we see everyone, men and women, through the gracious eyes of Jesus. I don't think the application of this should be, we just need to start treating guys harsher. No. We need to make sure we treat everyone as if we are looking at them through the eyes of Jesus and knowing especially, because there's a little extra pressure down here for girls, that we go out of our way to be gracious to our ladies. Let me give you some good news. I want you to look in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 28 through, or excuse me, 26 through 38. I want to read you the story that if there ever has been a girl who had her act together, it's got to be the Virgin Mary, right? So let's look at this story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed 
from her. Let me tell you, as I just read that story, as I've sat with ladies through the years and I've asked this question, who do you most relate to biblically in the Bible? Let me tell you a few of the answers I get. One of the most common answers when I ask a lady or I ask a girl, who do you relate to most in the Bible? I always get Martha. People, oh, you know, she's just always being busy about everything that didn't matter and just missed out on Jesus. Occasionally, somebody will say, I relate to Mary, sister of Martha, that she just wanted to know more of Jesus and things like that. Then occasionally, I'll hear Esther, or occasionally, I'll hear Ruth. I never hear Rahab the harlot. I mean, like, occasionally, I'll hear a few other names in the Bible, but never once, I mean never once, could you imagine sitting in girls' Bible study and be like, all right, we're all going to share the lady out of Scripture that we most relate to as a woman. Could you imagine the room, the oxygen in the room, if somebody lifted up their voice and said, well, you know, when I think about me, the Virgin Mary really comes to mind. Nobody's going to say that. Why? Because we've got Mary on a pedestal. And in fact, Mary represents really that elusive woman that we talked about at the beginning of this message. The one who's done everything right. I can't relate to that at all because she's, she's way up here. Let me tell you about Luke's gospel. Let me tell you why I love the gospel of Luke. I'm a girl dad, okay? Got four girls, four precious ladies at my house, including my precious bride. Luke's gospel is a tender reminder that women, their hearts, desires, stresses, and hurts matter to him who dwells in heaven. More so than any of the four gospels, the gospel of Luke, in fact, it is called the gospel of women by some because Luke pays such particular care to women in his gospel. You may have not thought about this. Think about this. Luke's gospel opens with a story about a woman who has seemingly lost the battle with infertility. That's the very first story in Luke. Now, infertility can be a heavy burden. I know it's hard looking at my family now to think that we ever thought that that was going to be and issues since we have so many children. But early on, we were told we might not be able to have children. And, and then also, one of the more difficult things that we experienced was experiencing four separate miscarriages as a married couple. And those were hard on me, but they were very hard on Andrea. The first person in this story opens up. Is, her name is Elizabeth, and she is now past her childbearing years and she doesn't have children in a culture where it was an honorable thing to give your husband a child, especially a son. And now that seemingly is over. And the first story is how God answers the desires and the longings and the heart cry of this woman. In Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, I'm just going to look on the screen. Just skip to the bottom. Go to the next slide just for the sake of time. Because Elizabeth was barren, both were advanced in years. This is the first story in Luke. It's about a woman who 
who seemingly had lost her battle with infertility. That's so tender, I can hardly stand it. Here's the next story. The second story in Luke is this. It's about a teenage girl with an unexplainable pregnancy in a small town. Nazareth was really small, a whole lot smaller than Tupelo, probably less than 100 people. And Mary is now carrying a baby, a not explainable pregnancy. Why? Because she was not yet, even though she was legally married to her husband, they had not yet come together. And Luke 1, 26 through 27, notice the highlighted portion on the screen. It says, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So the second story in Luke, the first is about a woman who seemingly had lost her battle with infertility and how God wasn't done working there. The second story is about a teenage girl who faced an unexplainable pregnancy in a small town. And then also, if you look at the rest of Luke's gospel, there is story after story of how women of all ages matter to Jesus. First is Anna, the prophetess that blessed the baby Jesus in the temple in Luke chapter 2 of the tribe of Asher. You know the story. The next is Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. I always loved that it wasn't his mom. This was his mother-in-law. Think about mother-in-laws and how we use it as a joke here in Southern culture. Oh, but not in the gospel of Luke. The mother-in-law mattered. It mattered so much that Jesus went and healed her. Also, Jesus allowed a sinful woman to touch and anoint him in Luke chapter 7. That was the woman who wiped Jesus' feet with her hair and tears. Also, women financially supported the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 8. Jesus would not have had a public ministry without their generosity. Jesus also healed a 12-year-old girl. That a 12-year-old girl was important enough for Jesus to stop and heal this woman. But also, he healed a woman with a 12-year bleeding infirmity. We don't know. We could speculate on what it meant to have a 12-year bleeding infirmity. But we know this. Whatever was causing her bleeding would have barred her from going to the temple. Because she would have been ceremonially unclean. And you know the story. She goes up and grabs the hem of the robe. And then she is healed by her faith. And Jesus turns when he realizes it's her and says, Daughter... Your faith has made you whole. Also, Luke contains a story about how Mary listened while Mark worked, Martha worked. Uh, Jesus also, in Luke 13, healed a woman crippled for 18 years. Not only that, a story about the demonstration of the love of God is told through the perspective, it's told about a woman to describe God's love. A story about a woman finding her lost coin is told to illustrate the love of God. As if to say, if you want to know what God is like, it's like a woman finding something she has lost. Also, a story about a persistent prayer. The widow features a widow hounding a judge. The hero of that story, of someone sticking it out in prayer, was a widow, a woman. Also, the story... Not just about a persistent prayer, but Jesus noted that a poor woman giving two small coins at the temple treasury gave the most more than any of the men who put large sums of money in the temple treasury. Also, it is women, not men, who stayed for the crucifixion. The men, barring John, all fled, but the women stayed. It was women who prepared the spices to anoint Jesus' body in Luke 23. It was women who found the empty tomb in Luke 24. It was women who were told by angels, He is risen. 
it was women who are the first to share the good news that Jesus is alive. No wonder it's told to be and said to be Luke is the gospel for women. But I want to go back to our opening subject. Every southern woman needs to know Mary's story. Because the way we think about Mary is we think, well, there's something extra special about her. Now, this is what we get from our Catholic and Orthodox friends, right? We're Protestants, all right? That our understanding of Mary is different than our Catholic friends. And I'm a Protestant for a reason. If you look down in verse 28, here's what I want you to see and note. This is what I believe the Bible teaches. I believe that Mary is chosen as the mother to carry Jesus because of God's favor. So look in verse 28. It says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Notice it doesn't say full of grace. Because my Catholic friends understand this differently, that Mary had inherent grace of her own. But no, that's not what that language means. That language means someone bestowed favor. Someone has bestowed favor upon them. It's not when the angel came and Gabriel came to Mary, he said, you are a gracious woman. He said, no, Mary, you are favored. God has chosen to show you grace. Not because there's something good about you, but because God is good and he has chosen you. Mary was chosen because of God's favor. Also, Mary's worth is neither self-determined nor socially determined. Her worth rests on God's favor. And here's where I want to encourage you today. Is that we can show, and I'm going to show you from the word of God. That God loves and values and favors you as his daughter. Just as he does Mary. Now, when we read Luke 1.28 and we see greetings, O favored one. My experience with girls of all ages here in the south is that many of them have a lower than appropriate view of themselves. Because of this comparison game of how everybody else seems to have it together. and But oh, not me. My kids are not well behaved enough. My house is not perfect enough. My marriage is not appropriate enough. My life, my image is not good enough. And because of that, it can affect their self-worth. Which is rested in images that we have of ourselves. But I want to submit to you today, when you belong to Jesus, if the angel Gabriel were to show up in Tupelo tomorrow, ma'am, and speak to you, he would call you a favored one too. You say, Brother Matt, you don't know me. There is no way, first of all, What's he asking me to do? I ain't having no kid, all right? We're not doing that. But no, what would the angel Gabriel be asking me to do? You don't know me. There's no way the angel Gabriel is going to call me a favored one of God. That was a special class for Mary. There no way. And dear daughter, sweet sister, precious mother, how wrong you are. 
The only other time in the New Testament this word is used in the original language is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, we're going to stop here, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We're just going to stop right there. First of all, it's capital B, beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus. Blessed us. Go back to the screen there where it was the highlighted verse. Blessed us is the same exact word. It's the only other time this root, of the, or not this root, but this expression of this word is used here, and it's also used in Luke 2 to describe Mary as the blessed one, the favored one. And right here, Ephesians says, if you are in Christ, you are favored. What does that mean? Because like Mary, your worth, acceptance, your worth and acceptance is not determined by how much Jesus is in you, but whether or not you are in him. As I've talked to so many women through the years, they have such a hard time accepting that they truly are accepted in Christ because there is this constant feeling of I'm not doing enough to make the people around me happy. I'm not doing enough to make God happy. And their assumption is one day when they stand before Jesus that Jesus, just like all those Southerners that they've always lived around, is going to be slightly disappointed that they did not achieve their fullest potential. And again, I would say, sweet sister, how wrong you would be. Jesus is far more excited to see you than you will ever be to see him. To be accepted in the beloved means you have embraced what he has done for you that you could never do for yourself. You say, but yeah, Brother Matt, we have all know that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Don't forget, we are going to get judged, Brother Matt. Yeah, but not for our sins. Sins are paid for and forgotten. What kind of God would God be if he brought up sins that he said he forgot at the judgment seat? doesn't make any sense. Listen, when you stand before the judgment seat, he's going to reward you based on how much you have done for him, not, not in the sense of earning a place in heaven. He's just going to say thank you. And whether it's a little or a lot, here should be everybody, one of your favorite verses in the Bible. Look here, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, after the message about the judgment seat, it doesn't matter, man or woman, if you do a lot for God or a little for God, I want you to know what you can expect from God when you stand before him one day as a believer. It says this, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. And notice this, and then praise and only praise will come from God. So what does that mean? That means you've already passed the test. You're going to stand before God, ma'am, and he is going to say, I'm so proud of you. That is the gospel of grace. And he is going to look at you and say, thank you. 
thank you. And that thanks may be for something as big as taking the gospel to another land. And that thanks may be also something as seemingly as trivial as making sure your baby has a dry diaper. Because it takes both to build the kingdom of God. These things don't escape his notice. Ma'am, he is so, so, so proud of you. Now, here's the thing. You're now faced with a decision of whether or not you're going to choose to continue to judge yourself based on how our culture judges us or whether you're going to accept what God says about you. You know what made Mary special? It's not because she was something special. It's because when Gabriel told her, this is what God thinks about you, Mary says in verse 38, then let it be to me according to your word. You want to be blessed today, ma'am? You embrace what he says about you. I'm going to close with this. A dear friend of mine named Lauren O'Neill, she was Lauren McQuiston, McQuiston when I was in high school. She wrote this song, and it primarily concerns teenage girls, but it's called Beautiful. And I remember the night she sang it in youth group, and I reached out to her this week, and I said, Lauren, could you send me those lyrics so I could read this song to our congregation? Here's the words. How many times have I measured my worth by the size of my jeans or the brand of my shirt? How many days have I been late to work because I couldn't find that perfect skirt? But the girl down the hall, she's got it all. I bet she's never had to search for the dress that fits right. But I've missed it all. The meaning of my call, if all I see is this, because you've made me a princess, born into royalty, my clothes are velvet, my crown of integrity. And what is true beauty except a way to bring glory to you? Have you ever thought about it? You talked about the lilies of the field and all their splendor. And you admire a heart that is tender and pure. But nothing is ever said about my jeans, about my nails, about my waistline or my hairstyle or all those other details. And I've missed it all. The meaning of my call. If all I try to find in this life are the cutest shoes, the latest dues, the tightest shirt and the shortest skirt or anything else in this world. For you've made me a princess, born into royalty. My clothes are velvet, my crown of integrity. And what is true beauty except to bring glory to you? Have you ever thought about it? And ma'am, whether you're 85 or 5, who you are in Christ is all that matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your glorious gospel of grace. And I give thanks for these precious women you have placed in my life to be a daddy, to be a husband. Lord, for the women in my extended family, and Lord, for the precious privilege of being a pastor and a friend. 
to the ladies. Girls, ladies, single, married, widowed, grandmas, all of them. They are precious and acceptable in your sight. And they, whether they feel it or not, are in you. Royalty. And one day, when we stand before you, all of that will be revealed when they will stand beside all of the other co-heirs in Christ. Help my sisters, like Mary, say, okay, Lord, I'm going to believe what you say about me. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen.